Let's turn in our scriptures to Isaiah chapter 7, and that's where we're going to be today. Wren mentioned it, <clears throat> that this uh, particular Advent candle, the, the first week, I did not grow up in a liturgical church. I did not know what an Advent candle was or an Advent wreath was until I met my wife. These were new concepts to me. But I've come to really uh, enjoy it, and not just because it's pretty, but because of what it means. Wren um, mentioned that this particular candle this week is the candle of hope and so I wanted to bring a message today in fact each message until Christmas is going to be center itself around the meaning of the particular candle that we light that day and so this one is a season of hope we need hope don't we when you've gotten to a place where you're hopeless that's a bad place to be in 1987, a boy that was about my age, just a little bit uh, younger than me, he was 12 at the time, his name was Martin. He was enjoying life just like every other young man does when he suddenly became ill and that illness progressed with time and for reasons doctors just couldn't explain or figure out, he fell into a vegetative state and for three years, he was completely unresponsive in a total coma. Doctors, of course, told his parents that he's brain dead, completely unaware of his surroundings, he'll never recover. But those doctors, as they sometimes are, were incorrect. Three years later, when he was 16, he began slowly to regain consciousness. As I was reading about him this week, he said, he said, I don't remember being born. Who does? <laughs> he said, but it's like, he said, I imagine it's like what a baby feels like. You're slowly emerging into this new world and you catch bits and pieces of it, but you don't really know what's going on. That's what, a baby, that's what happens to a baby when they're born, isn't it? They're, they're in this new world, but they can't figure anything out. And he began uh, to become conscious, but he only began to become conscious. In other words, he still couldn't move. He still couldn't communicate. He couldn't talk. And by the end of that three years, he was still completely paralyzed with the exception of his eyes now, but he was completely aware of his surroundings. He described it as being locked in his own body. Could you imagine what that would be like? Fully aware of who he was, where he was, what was happening around him, but he couldn't tell anybody. Martin saw and heard things that he wasn't supposed to see and hear because when people don't think you can see and hear, they do things that they don't think anybody uh, will be aware of. He witnessed abuse in care centers. He heard secrets. Heartbreakingly, he even heard his own mother in a fit of desperation and depression wish that he would die. I, don't, I can't say that I blame her. I mean, we, we, listen, we hear that and we think, oh, how awful. But if you've ever cared for somebody like that, that thought may have crossed your mind. Martin was in a complete state of hopelessness. Completely. 
unable to change his awful circumstances by his own strength with no prospects of life getting any better. But he maintained hope. He kept hope alive. One day, one of his caregivers, an aromatherapist, began to recognize that when she would say certain things or do certain things, he would respond in the slightest of ways, but it was she could tell he was communicating. And she alerted doctors who were able to confirm that Martin was fully conscious, a total 180 from what they had believed just a couple of hours before that. A full 12 years after he first got sick, at the age of 25 in the year 2000, Martin finally began receiving the care he needed. In other words, like a speech computer, physical therapy, that he needed those types of things. Could you imagine being locked in your own body for 12 years, what that would feel like? Being completely aware of your surroundings and being able to change nothing. The good news is, for Martin, the end of the story is actually uh, pretty happy. He eventually got mostly better. He still can't talk today, but his speech computer will do that for him. He still can't walk, but his wheelchair does that for him. He even takes place in uh, wheelchair races. He earned a college degree, got married in 2009 to a lady named jo Jonah. They've even had a child together. Where there had been no hope, hope flourished. Amen. Hope is an awful thing to lose, perhaps mainly because it's the last thing you can lose, isn't it? Aside from your life. Sometimes it might seem like you are in a hopeless situation. In spite of all your best efforts, things just don't get better. I want us to consider something today. Advent, what we call Christmas, uh, Rem said it well. Advent means an arrival. And when we say Advent, we mean the arrival of a particular special person on this earth's history, the person of Jesus Christ. Advent is a time to remember that God is real, that He made us promises that He intends to keep, and that there is always hope. While I breathe, I hope. I know somebody famous said that, and I cannot remember who it was, but I like that statement. Because sometimes things do seem hopeless. In our passage today, Judah was in a hopeless predicament. We've been, if you've been coming to Sunday school, by the way, a little uh, commercial. Come to Sunday school if you're not in the habit already. We have teachers that give of their time during the week studying their lessons, and they do a, a really good job. I go to James's class, and, and this uh, Quarterly, this 13 weeks, we've been going through the book of Isaiah. And I don't remember if we went over chapter 7. That might have been a week that I missed. But in chapter 7, Judah is in a hopeless predicament. What is Judah? Judah is the southern kingdom. Why were they hopeless? Well, they were in a weakened state. Yeah, thank you, Sean. That's perfect. I was about to ask you to put that up like we had this connection, me and Sean. That's good. They were in a weakened state. The year, as you can tell, is 733 B.C. It's been about 200 years since Solomon died. That's a long time from the glory days, right? 
You go back 200 years in our nation's history, and we're talking about 1820. That's a long time ago, isn't it? Well, for them, it had been a long time since the glory days of the United Kingdom. Right after Solomon died, the kingdom split. You got your blue circle. That's Judah. You got your first red circle. That's Israel. That's their kinfolk. But they don't get along so well anymore. And they were just weakened. Their wealth had gone down. Their peace had gone down. The kingdom was split. They were in a bad way. They were also surrounded by enemies. You can see there, you got Ammon to the east. You got Moab on the other side of the Dead Sea. You got the Philistines, still thorns in their sides to the west on the coast. The biggest deal, the deal that we read about in verses 1 and following, come from Israel and Syria. Don't go to any scripture here. It says, In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, reason the king of Syria and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack. When the house of David was told, what is the house of David? That's the king of Judah, right? That's Ahaz. When he was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim. Why does it say Ephraim? Because Ephraim is the capital city of Israel. It would be like saying Washington, D.C. today. We know that that means the whole country, right? Ephraim, Syria is in league with Ephraim or Israel. The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake. Before the wind. They were surrounded by enemies. Now, why are Syria and Israel doing this? I'll tell you why. You don't see it on the map, but if you could go further north and to the east, there is a big bad wolf on the doorstep named Assyria. Now, we definitely talked about them today in Sunday school. And the Assyrians' kingdom was encroaching getting closer to Syria, getting closer to Israel. And so what Israel and Syria are doing is they want to force Judah to help them. Their attitude is, we're going to fight the Assyrians. We're not going to give in and become a vassal. We're not going to become servants to these Assyrian heathens. We want you to join and fight. And in fact, we're going to make you join and fight. We're going to come and attack you and take your stuff. So Ahaz was in a a position where he had no good options. Does he go against his kinfolk and side with the Assyrians, who, let's admit it, they're bigger, they're stronger, they're probably going to win anyway. Y'all know, we all know politicians that wait to cast their vote until they see who's going to win, right? I don't like people like that. I'm ride or die with my team. Cowboys, they look terrible on Thanksgiving, but I'm ride or die. I'll pull for them next week too. Carolina, uh, we won't talk about that. Alabama, that's good. I'm with my team, regardless. Some people, they try to read the tea leaves, see who's going to win, and then they side with them. Ahaz was trying to do that. Who's going to win this war? The Assyrians? If so, I'm going to side with them. Or do I suffer the wrath of Israel and Syria right now? Or do I side with with them, he didn't have any good options. It was, in other words, as Ed Young wrote, a time when all appeared to be lost, and at such a moment, God intervened with an announcement of hope. Amy read the announcement. Or read, who read? Amy read the announcement earlier. A child 
will be born. You know, this was a long time ago, 2,750 years ago. Seems like a long time, but do people change? We're a lot like the people living under Ahaz. We endure seasons of hopelessness too, don't we? Financial hopelessness. I remember a long time before I was preaching. I, uh, I got a degree. I'll probably tell y'all more about my personal history than you ever cared to know right now. But I got my degree, uh, my Master of Divinity degree in 2004. But I didn't go into ministry until 2012. Now, I don't know how good your math is, but that's eight long years where I'm not doing what I trained to do. And unlike some people, I'm not too good with my hands. So I bounced from job to job, just trying to figure life out. It was a super hard struggle for me. Probably the lowest point for me was when I was working three jobs at once. I was, <clears throat> my nine to five or eight to five was as what's called a headhunter. Y'all know what that is? An executive recruiter. I'd call engineers and try to get them to switch jobs to put a dollar in my pocket. At night, I would do waiting. I would waiter at a restaurant called uh, The Melting Pot. I don't know if y'all ever heard of that. Fancy place. You boil your food. We charge you twice as much to cook your own food. That's a pretty good idea, isn't it? And in the morning, I was delivering papers. So that, as you can imagine, those were long days. Waking up at 3 or 4 in the morning and going to bed at 11 or 12 at night. I was pretty hopeless at that time. There's also... Seasons of hopelessness concerning health. You might get a bad report from the doctor. You might suffer a fall and lose faculties. We know Rusty's going through that right now. Might even have a death in the family. Families are wracked by divorce, which breeds hopelessness. Ungodly children that turn on the way their parents raised them. There's gossip and slander that can hurt us. There's disappointing leaders. We've all had pastors and political leaders that have disappointed us. When you feel hopeless, as they did, I want you to remember that God brings hope out of hopeless situations. Which brings me to my next point. God does bring hope out of hopelessness. He did it for Ahaz and Judah. He promised Ahaz a deliverer. Look at verse 7. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, it shall not come to pass. What's he talking about particularly? He's talking about the, the battle from Syria and Israel. He's saying they're not going to last. You ain't got to worry about them. For the head of Syria is Damascus. The head of Damascus is reason. Listen to this. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And that's exactly what happened. We know from history that within 65 years' time, the northern kingdom of Israel was gone. What happened? The Assyrians came down, they wiped, they mowed them down, and they carried them out. And they, they just spread them all over the earth. Now, God, it is interesting to note, did not do this for Ahaz's sake. Ahaz I don't want you to get the wrong impression. Ahaz was a wicked, wicked man. 
He was one of the reasons that they were in this predicament to begin with. He was an idol worshiper. He was immoral. And we know, even though he heard this word from God, that he eventually didn't listen. Listen to this from 2 Kings chapter 16, which tells a different side to the same story. 2 Kings 16 and verse 5, Then reason king of Syria and Pekah the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, came up to wage war on Jerusalem. Sounds familiar, huh? And they besieged Ahaz, but could not conquer him. At that time, reason the king of Syria recovered Elath for Syria and drove the men of Judah from Elath. Verse 7, So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and rescue us. He didn't listen. Now, did God know that Ahaz would not listen? Of course he did. So why would God make a promise to deliver this wicked man who would not listen to his promise, who would not obey, who would not exercise faith? Well, it's because God does that sometimes, doesn't he? He shows mercy. He did it for Judah. God kept his promise, we know. And hope always springs from believing the promise of God. You know when we get in trouble? When we stop believing the promises of God. It hurts us that we don't know the promises of God. You've got to be in your Bible. As you read your Bible, the Holy Spirit will remind you of what the Lord says from day to day. If you find yourself in a spirit of anxiety and a spirit of depression, can I give you some advice? Don't go straight for the pill. Don't go straight for the bottle. Don't go straight for Netflix or whatever it is that you do to take the edge off. Get into the Word. The promises of God are what we need. Hope springs eternal when we believe the promises of God. Now what's really cool about this prophecy, which Amy read, which is verse 14, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. We know who that is, right? And we know when that happened. That happened 730 years after this. In other words, God waited a long time to fulfill that promise. It didn't happen in Ahaz's lifetime. It didn't happen in Isaiah's lifetime. It happened in Jesus' lifetime. And what was the world like for the Jews during Jesus' day? It was a time of hopelessness. Conquered and occupied by one power after another. You go down the list. Assyria, Babylon, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Greek Empire. And who was it during Jesus' day? The Roman Empire. I mean, they, couldn't, they never got their land back, not the way that it was. One ruler after another. They, even their own people were compromised. Their spiritual leaders were legalists whose hearts weren't in it. Jesus called them snakes, <laughs> right? Their political leaders sold out to the Romans a long time ago, the Herods. And so the people are left in a state of hopelessness asking, where is this Messiah? Where is this virgin-born son? Where is God with us? Will God ever keep his promise? And so we come to Jesus' day. Jesus is our hope. 730 years after Isaiah's prophecy, the angel Gabriel was sent to a young 
man named Joseph. We often focus on his message to Mary, but it was his message to Joseph that caught my eye this week. When Mary told Joseph that the child was a miracle from God, he had the same response that you would have. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's exactly what you would have said. Don't, don't paint yourself any better. He went home and said, sorry, Mary, we have to get a divorce. And so God said, I can't let that happen. And he sent angel Gabriel to Joseph. And in Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 25, Gabriel's message is this. He said, Joseph, son of David. Oh, that's not a throwaway line. Who was Ahaz? He was a son of David too. But he was not a good man. Joseph, a good man, a true son of David, would be the earthly father to the ultimate son of David. He said, Joseph, son of David, don't fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. I don't know, you know how people, when they want to get a point across, they'll come up and slap somebody in the back of the head? Like, listen, you moron. I don't know if Angel Gabriel did that to Joseph. It was a dream after all. But I kind of feel like that's what he was saying. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Notice, he doesn't say you will call his name Emmanuel, which is what Isaiah prophesied. You will call his name Jesus, which means salvation, or Jehovah, or Yahweh saves. For he will save his people from their sins. And then Matthew, as an editor, adds this little comment. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet in Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, Jesus was born into a hopeless world in which he himself was a, born into a hopeless situation. Could you imagine, you thought your, your upbringing, you had it rough. Could you imagine being born to the virgin mother and everybody talking about that your whole childhood? That rumor never went away. <laughs> you, know, you know that, right? He had to deal with that his entire life. Uh, Jesus was born into poverty. We not only know that from his life when we read about it. He said, I don't even have a place to lay my head. But uh, in Isaiah when it says the child will eat curds and honey in, in verse 15, right after the prophecy, curds and honey was the food of the poor. It would be like saying spam today, right? You just get with beans and rice, curds and honey. Legalism in the temple, compromise in the palace, a Roman boot on their neck. The people's spirits were low. And it was that situation into which Jesus the virgin-born son came. God came to live as a man among men. The dawn of hope began to shine that day that Gabriel announced Jesus is birth. You know that's still true? Jesus, when you experience hopelessness, is your deliverance. Jesus is your hope. I, I don't mean to sound trite, they say that the answer to every Sunday school question when you're a kid is Jesus. <laughs> it's not exactly true. But the answer to all of the problems that hopelessness poses in our life is Jesus. Now, 
I want to draw this point home and make it personal to you. Faith comes before hope. I think I've got my points backwards up there. That's not Sean's fault. That's mine, which is fine. Faith comes before hope. I would be remiss if I preached a message of hope without also preaching a message of faith because while the world can sing our songs, they don't have our faith. Isn't that true? They can sing joy to the world, but if Jesus is not really Lord of your life, there is no true joy. They can sing peace on earth, goodwill towards men, but without Christ, what peace is there? Ahaz was a man of unbelief. He wouldn't even take up God on his offer to prove his word by a miracle. When you look at verses 10 through 12. And in verse 9, Isaiah says to him, If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. You're going to be wishy-washy, Ahaz. You're going to be flopping around in the wind like a weather vane pointing whichever direction the wind is blowing. Ahaz ultimately made the decision that he would not be a man of faith. He would not take God at his word. He would not believe. But you don't have to make that decision. You have a choice. Today. You can trust in yourself. I want you to think about this for a second. Everybody here is facing different circumstances in life. We got business owners. We got retirees. We got parents of young children. We got parents of grown children. We got grandparents. We got people out of work, in work. We got people whose, whose kids are following the Lord and you could not be more proud of them. And we got people whose kids, you don't know why, but they don't ever come to church. They don't read their Bibles. They don't show any interest in God whatsoever. We got all kinds of different people here at the church. What causes hopelessness in you? What areas of your life do you feel powerless to change, just like they did? I want you to know that you have one of two choices. You can continue to trust in yourself to handle the problem. You can trust in your choices, your experience, your intuition, your family, your money, Manning Motyer wrote, There is indeed a sin of testing God. Essentially, it is the sin of unbelief. It says, I will trust if God proves himself trustworthy, or I will not believe unless God proves himself. Guys, that's a dangerous place to be. And if we're honest, we probably know people who are there, who have turned their backs on God because, in their opinion, God has proved himself untrustworthy. But is that true? Is God ever truly untrustworthy? When we receive from the hand of God good, we give him praise. We talked about this last week. And when we receive at the hand of God ill, we also give him praise. Which means we ought to trust in God, specifically his provision in Christ. Christ was born to bring hope to the hopeless. He was born to bring hope to you and me. He lived, died, and rose again for that same purpose. He intercedes on your behalf right now. You know what? If you stopped listening to me right now and started praying, you know who's praying on your behalf? The Lord Jesus Christ. 
Why? Because He cares about you and He loves you. And He wants to provide you with the hope that everything is going to be okay. Now that doesn't mean everything is going to be okay the way I define it. In the book of Psalms, David wrote in verse 1, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? It takes a man in a dark place to write that. You don't write that when you're on the mountaintop. You don't write that when everything is sunshine and rainbows. You write that when your son is literally trying to kill you. And half of the people in the kingdom want to take it away from you and kill you. David was in a dark place. But he wrote later in verses 5 and 6, I trust in your unfailing love. Guys, that's what we have to believe even when life is presenting circumstances to us that make us want to feel hopeless because there's nothing we can do to change it and we want to cry out, God is not fair, God is not right, God this hurts. We have to say in response, I trust in your unfailing love. God loves you no matter what you're going through. And He wants you to hope in Him. I am reminded of a line from one, one of my favorite lines from one of my favorite movies, The Shawshank Redemption. Andy Dufresne writes a letter to his friend, Red, and at the end of the movie, Red is reading that letter, and Andy says in the letter, he says, Hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. Hope never dies. We will endure difficulties because we must, but we must never lose hope and we must never lose our faith in the God of hope because Jesus conquered death. We have hope. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, our time is up here to spend in your word, but your Holy Spirit will go with us from this place. And my prayer is that wherever people are hurting, wherever people are afraid, wherever people are anxious, wherever people are hopeless, you would provide hope. You would remind them that you've already won the battle. That you've already defeated life's ultimate foe, death itself. And that because of that, and because you reign even now, we do not have to give in to unbelief or hopelessness. Thank you that Advent is a season of hope. In Christ's name, amen. If you need to come up today and be saved. That's where hope really begins, is it not? There is no hope outside of Christ. As we sing today, amazing grace, as we stand to our feet, if you need to do business with the Lord, please come and do so.